Welcome to Movie Fail Podcast. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and we're going to be talking about Episode 7 of Game of Thrones, uh, Mockingbird. So we're going to um, get started. I think, uh, why don't we start at the wall? How, how did you feel about uh, the scene with John? There's not much to say about it. It's kind of like a throwaway scene. Um, the wall has been kind of poorly served this season, which is interesting because it's been kind of such a big uh, presence in the show up to this point. But this season, uh, they teased the big um, uh, fight with Mance Raider in the first episode of this season. and But like we haven't seen Egret or, or any of the wildlings. I think we've seen them once since yeah, then. Yeah, we, we saw them. Seen... Right, we saw them in that brief encounter up, up north, yeah. Yeah, we haven't seen much of anything with John at the Wall. It's mostly been kind of the same things over and over. Um, so yeah, the scene was... It's a weird scene to have in. It's kind of like, what's... What's even the point of it? It's He doesn't really... He just kind of says... He suggests that they should do something, and then Alistair Thorne says, no, no we're not going to do that. And that's it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there were, two, there were actually two points to the scene. Um, I, I agree it was sort of a throwaway, but the, the two points, I think, were one, to remind us that there are giants, which I had forgotten, but that was one of the great moments of, I think, last season, where we got to see a giant. We were like, whoa, there's actually giants. That's cool. Um, that was one thing, and um, which just goes to show how little they've shown of the wildlings because um, we would have remembered if, you know, if they had been more of a presence, but he was like, no, there are giants and they're going to uh, be a bit of a problem when they arrive. Uh, and I was like, oh yeah, giants, cool. Um, so there was that. And then the other thing was to sort of, this could have been a moment where we sort of saw a shift of influence between um, John and Thorn, but there wasn't because uh, the master builder said that, um, is that, is that what it's called? The, the first builder? I guess I was confusing um, that with the Lego movie. <laughs> the first yeah, I was going to say, are you referencing the Lego movie? Lego or? movie. No, no, no. The first builder. <laughs> he he ends up siding with um, with Alistair Thorne, which implies that um, Jon Snow doesn't yet have any sort of real influence over the people at the Keep um, yet. Although he does have a lot of influence over, like, sort of the, the lower down, you know, sort of group. So, anyway, so it, so it sort of served that purpose, but ultimately, like, I had forgotten it was even a scene in this episode until I looked back. <laughs> Um, yes. Uh, speaking of forgetting about scenes, um, the scene at Dragonstone, yeah, <laughs> with Melisandre and and Solis. Yeah, Solis is a character I keep forgetting even exists. Yes, exactly. Uh, first of all, yeah, I know, like I've read the books, and she's, and I still keep forgetting that she's even a person. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this scene was also kind of just like a weird. It was weird for a couple reasons. It was less of a throwaway because there was a little bit of foreshadowing. Right. Um, but it's foreshadowing something that like either they're doing something because basically Melisandre says like oh, the Lord of Light needs uh, Shireen she needs your he needs your daughter so she has to come with us um, I don't know what that's supposed to refer to I don't know if they're doing something new that the books didn't do or if they're foreshadowing something that's to come in the books um, if so if it's the latter then it's kind of weird that they would have that now because they, we've talked about this in the past, they do have some time before they catch up. So I kind of feel like they are doing something new, especially considering that Shireen isn't in the books that much. And I like that what they've done with Shireen a lot. I like her character in the show. I do too. And I actually, I loved, it was one of the few parts of the, um, of that whole, of the Dragonstone sort of storyline in the last season that I was actually tolerable. 
uh, when she's teaching um, uh, Sir Davos how to read. Um, that was in season three, right? I believe yeah. season three. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a great, that was a great uh, sort of character development thing. But as a viewer, uh, who's, I, I don't know if you have more information as somebody who's read the books, but as a viewer, it sort of implied this other story that's going to happen or involve her. And there hasn't really been much to that effect. So this was sort of more like, no, she's going to be important. No, really, we promise. It's just not going to happen yet. No, but really, just hold on. She's going to be important. So I couldn't really tell what the um, implications were there or what that's going to end up uh, meaning. But yes, this was the scene was very weird because it sort of it involved Melisandre, who, again, sort of relevant earlier on. Now she's just sort of... She's a, like... It almost feels like she's an ineffective puppet master. She's, she's running um, Dragonstone from, like, behind the scenes, but Dragonstone, the people of Dragonstone aren't doing anything, so it's sort of like, what's, you know, what is she actually manipulating here? So, um, but the implication that they were about to get ready to head out or do something fairly soon, sort of, I, it kept the tension going. Um, I just, again, I had forgotten that this was even a moment in this episode because there are so many other bigger, more interesting things going on. Yeah, I'm disappointed with the Stannis storyline overall because I do feel like, you, you could cut out all of these scenes and we wouldn't be missing anything. Yes. Really. Exactly. Like, well, again, I don't I, know I, if I would miss gonna... Davos because I think Davos was one of my favorite characters. But in terms of the plot, like, Stannis isn't really doing anything. He went to the Iron Bank to get money to go do something, <laughs> which hopefully he'll do something eventually. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just like, did we really need this scene? Did we really need a lot of the other scenes we've had with him this season other than to keep him in the show because he's a I think that's, main character? I think that's what it is because it's going to come back and then we're going to have this problem of, you know, Stannis is going to suddenly be in it and we'll be like, oh yeah, I forgot he was even a character. And while some characters do show up randomly all of a sudden again, like later in this episode we'll talk about um, some characters who, who, who certainly did that. Um, but, uh, like Hot Pie. Um, but... Uh, he's so important that for him to disappear into the background and then reappear would seem very weird. So I think that's the, that's the problem is that he's too important to let fade away, but he also doesn't have a whole lot to do yet. So they're sort of like stuck in that in between sort of period. And and maybe that has to do with the adaptation from the books. Like maybe there's just, uh, even the books, it works better to like sort of align those timelines or it's okay if we lose a character for a while and then pick them up again. But in the show, it would seem very sort of crazy to suddenly have um, have Stannis reappear in season five or something. So I guess we'll see. We'll see what they decide to do with this season. We don't know. You know, we still got two more, three more episodes, three more episodes. Three. Yeah. So we don't know. But but having said that, I didn't hate these scenes. There was nothing wrong with them. I just they were very very short and quick. Um, but we got a couple more um, really excellent scenes, like truly excellent scenes in this episode. So that was kind of cool. Um, in particular, I really liked the Podrick and Brienne scene. Yeah, that was that was great. That was um, fantastic. I like I like their dynamic a lot, and I like seeing Hot Pie again. That, that was, was awesome. Kind of a, that was yeah. unexpected, and a um, certainly kind of a weird character to bring back for a cameo. But I think it really worked. It really did. It really did. I was really, it was so exciting, and it was so sweet, too. It was really um, uh, touching, especially at the end where he, he gives uh, Brienne that, whatever that is, that bread or that... The, the wolf cookie. Yeah, the wolf cookie, and, it, and it's so it's so intricate and well-made. And, and the other thing that's really cool, too, is that, you know, he seems to be the only one who's benefited from uh, 
the things that have happened in in um, in Westeros because he's like you know he was taken sure he was taken prisoner and sold uh, you know to this this inn but he's seems to be genuinely happy um, as a uh, as a, you know as a cook and so that's really or a server or whatever he is there and so you know that's kind of cool it's nice to see somebody having a good time um, without any real threat uh, to their character I hope that doesn't come back to bite him. In, in the butt because that would suck. Um, but yes, no, I, I think I think that was a good scene. I thought that um, I thought their back and forth was really good. I liked how he, you know, the sort of Podrick and Brienne reacting to him sitting down at the table and talking at length about food uh, was was uh, played out. And um, I actually the one thing about the scene that was kind of funny to me and a little weird is that Podrick makes a very reasonable statement that perhaps Brienne shouldn't go around telling people they're looking for Arya Stark. And then it ends up in this situation working out for them. But, like, in general, he's absolutely right. They really shouldn't do that. <laughs> That's yeah. a terrible, no. terrible yeah, idea. So. Um, but she's all like, ha, you know, like, you know, I was right um, at the end of it. But I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. You lucked out this time. Exactly, yeah. But it was nice for, um, also, you know, now they have, now there's finally somebody important not not to offend Hot Pie, but there's somebody important to um, who is now aware that Arya Stark at least recently was alive. So that's good because, as far as anyone knew, she was completely um, like dead or missing or just no one had heard from her. So yeah, so that was good. Um, and then uh, and then there's the Riverlands with with Arya and uh, the Hound, and that was a. Uh, I actually thought this this was a very good scene too. Very good scene. A lot of stuff with Arya and the Hound this season. Um, yeah. I, th- I really think the creators of the show realized what they had on their hands with these two at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like... They really like let that come to fruition because it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't nearly as, the, mu- you know, as prominent in the last season. It'll probably be, I would expect, to, to write out the whole season uh, with these two. Which is surprising, but like it works so well. It does. I think. They are so, so... It's such a... It's a uh, pairing that you wouldn't kind of think of, but they are. It just they have such a fun dynamic, and they're both really good characters. And uh, these two scenes—I think it's two scenes with them that we get—are really great. Uh, Arya yeah, we do get of, two scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arya gets this very kind of uh, dark moment where she. Uh, stabs the guy just she stabs this guy named Rorsch just right in the heart um yeah no and and it's only after he has a you know he she learns his name that was a really cool thing and it's also a a parallel to earlier when he stabs the um where the hound stabs uh the guy who's like all oh that was a fantastic scene yeah it was good and and the fact that it sort of paralleled that right afterwards um I actually didn't really get what had happened where that guy jumps on the hound's back and bites his neck. I didn't realize what had actually happened until later when he's like, no, I got bitten. And I was like, that's a weird thing for someone to try and do. Um, yeah, that character is named Biter. Oh, is it really? Um, oh, okay. That is, a, that is a character from the books. I don't think he, encount- he and Rorge encounter uh, Arya and the hound. They encounter different characters. But his, yeah, his name is Biter. Well, well there you <laughs> go. <laughs> but at least, so he bites. Short and to the point, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so that was really great. Um, I will say one thing. It, it's a little bit unfortunate. So this scene, or this this episode, 
we got a really good Brienne Podrick relationship, and I guess it was one or two episodes ago we had a Brienne and Podrick episode uh, moment um, where they're sort of becoming familiar with one another, and there's the whole cooking scene where Podrick doesn't know how to cook anything, and um, then he helps her with her armor. Uh, which was fine, there was nothing wrong with it, but it was a very quick turnaround from them not really getting along to, like, suddenly getting along. And if you compare that to Arya and the Hound, who have had, since last season, been walking around, not really trusting each other, having no real thing, you know, no real connection, and it's only now in this episode, and not even in the first scene, but in the second scene, that Arya is allowed to um, help the Hound with his, you know, bite wound. Um, and it just seemed very similar to Podrick helping Brienne with her armor, but that happened so quickly. So, um, it's just interesting because this seems like a much more complex sort of relationship than, than Brienne and Podrick. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just an interesting sort of, uh, contrast. Yeah, it is. It's, and, and since they're, uh, headed to the same place as, as Ari and the Hound right. right now, um, there, I think the show is meant is trying to have them parallel each other, yeah, to an extent them. at least. Yeah, exactly. Um, Even though the dynamics yeah. are totally different. Yeah, and Arya and Brienne are similar in a lot of ways too, but in the way that they behave, more so in the way that people treat them, uh, just because they're both women. Uh, obviously, Podrick and the Hound are very different people, um, but I think yeah, it's Arya and Brienne are, are two of my favorite characters, and to and have you... the show acknowledge that in its structures is really interesting. Yeah, and you sort of get the impression that um, uh, Brienne and Arya would get along, you know, should they... Oh, totally. They'd be best friends, yeah. Um, So that's kind of cool to see, and you're sort of hoping that that'll happen, but, you know, who knows? Who knows? Uh, It's a long road. Um, So there's that. Then we have this very strange, interesting scene uh, in Essos with Daenerys (laughs) and Dario Naharis. Um, yeah, I guess, I, I don't know. <laughs> so how did you, what did you think of this, this moment? Um, yeah, yeah, it's hard to know, well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, I, it's an interesting scene. It's very much Daenerys, kind of, in this, in these past couple episodes, she's been very, like, um, we've talked about in control and very confident, and this is manifesting it that, uh, sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lo- I liked that scene. I loved even more the scene where, um, Daria walks out and sees Jorah and he's like still trying to put on his shirt. Yeah. That's a great, uh, great moment. Um, it's a good moment. I, you know, I actually preferred the scene just shortly afterwards. My, my favorite part of this whole sequence was when, uh, Jorah convinces Daenerys to give the people of, I guess, Yunkai... The, the master's uh, a chance at sort of redemption. And then she tells him to go and find Dario and tell him that uh, she changed her mind about the punishment for the masters, that she wasn't going to kill all of them. Um, and then she, she recants one more time and says, no, tell them, or tell Dario that you changed my mind specifically. And then Jorah gets this little smirk, this little like smile on his face just <laughs> as that happens. And that was my favorite moment because I was like, very interesting, because, you know, the whole scene's about trust, and they're all talking about, you know, Jorah and, and Daenerys talk about trust and how she doesn't really trust Dario, but um, but she definitely trusts Jorah, and ultimately that might be more valuable. You know, I'm not really sure what the, the message is or how that's going to, you know, uh, come up again later, but um, I just really liked 
that really that that back and forth because it it strengthened their relationship in a way that I don't think has really been done in uh, recent episodes. Usually, Dan- Daenerys says something along the lines of, "You're my most trusted advisor. I really trust you." But this was actual, um, <laughs> like execution. Like it wasn't just telling; it was showing that you know she really does trust him. Yeah, the show kind of gets into the telling and not showing um, more often than it probably should. Yeah, particularly with Daenerys. Particularly with Daenerys. Particular, yeah, and yeah, as we've talked about before. Yeah, I think it's probably because the um, the Targaryen stuff can be hard to keep track of because she's the only one, right? And just her whole thing, maybe. Right, right. Can be hard to, but yeah, so like I get it, and it's, and being on Essos. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a whole different. Else. Yeah, exactly. So like when we hear the Riverlands, these people are going to the Riverlands. Those people are going to Riverlands. We've been to the Riverlands. We've seen this. We've seen that. So. We get that, but like Yunkai, the only person we've seen go there is Daenerys. So we have to be reminded constantly that we're in a different continent. Different things are going on. Nobody else is there. It's just them. Um, so that was good. And also, I don't know if this uh, if this was interesting to you at all, but this is the first time Daenerys has been with anyone since Khal Drogo, I think. Or yeah, that's, that's the implication. Yeah, that's that's correct. I think. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I don't know if that means that she's moved on or how she feels or what but i thought that well it's, was... a, it's a definite it's a role reversal in terms of the oh true the yeah power at play i think that's maybe really something to take out of it um and it definitely fits in with uh the progression of her character this season yeah no i agree uh, yeah it's it's a totally like um completely flipped and i think i think dario's uh, cool with that uh, i think you could tell just in on his face yeah, um, although I don't, I sort of get the impression that he was, I mean, she's sending him away with the second sons to go and deal with uh, Yunkai, um, but I sort of got the impression that he was actually interested in her and wasn't just attracted to her physically, so I don't know if that's going to be a problem later, you know, if she, you know, ends up in a relationship with some other character or some other thing happens, um, and he's, you know comes back or they reunite or whatever and she's like not interested in him i you know i and like i'm i'm not all that interested in like relationships and shows unless they're super important but i just i think it might actually be a plot point if dario comes back and there are other things at play and you know he's offended or whatever because he right now he's fighting for and and jory even brings this up he's fighting for daenerys but you know he's also willing to um take whatever new opportunities arise uh and jump ship so um, it could be an interesting plot point moving forward. Yeah, that's the, well, the, the dynamic that Dario has with Jorah is, is very much that kind of Jorah sees yeah, them in competition. Right. And he, he kind of sees Dario as the guy who only likes Daenerys for her looks, but like he likes her for who she is on the inside. Right. And I think he kind of resents Dario for that. Um, but of course, yeah, you're right. Maybe, you know, Dario, I think, is is smarter than Jorah, or even maybe Daenerys gives him credit for. Right, right. The one thing I do like about this is that there's, it's not just, like, that guy who never tells someone how they, you know, tells the other, you know, the person how they feel. Um, you know, it's it's been revealed that he has feelings for uh, Daenerys very clearly, I think, in season two. Um, and, but there's actually other reasons for him to stick around. He's not just, like, patiently waiting for her to suddenly realize he's a great guy. He's, <laughs> like, serving her as, his, you know, as an advisor, and, like, there's other reasons for him to stick around so he's a lot less pathetic than he might be i think um 
but yeah, no, I thought this was a it was a fun little strange little scene. Um, and and like I said, I I thought the the Daenerys Jorah dynamic uh, or relationship really benefited from this because we haven't seen a lot of character development in that regard. It's mostly just been Jorah explaining things. Um, so yes, so there's that. Um, and then off to uh, King's Landing. So we have uh, some a big moment here, a very big moment. Oh yeah, uh, a it's a yeah. great lead up to it too. Um, yeah. Tyrion trying to. In rule of threes, basically, he tries to get... He has Jamie to be the champion, and Jamie says, well, I can't because, of, you know... He says because he can't really fight with his left hand very well, but, you know, like we've talked about, there's a host of other reasons that Jamie wouldn't want to do that, uh, most prominently, that Tywin um, told him not to betray him again, basically. Right. And that would be a pretty significant betrayal of Tywin. And then he asks Bronn, but... It's they've already taken care of Bronn. Yeah, um, that was really depressing. That was it's a it's a depressing moment because you would you would think I think you said last week that that would have been your first thought, and of course it it would be Tyrion's first thought. Like the reason he met Bronn is because Jamie couldn't get to the trial by combat in the Vale, um, and now they've already kind of cleared that away. And Bronn is such an interesting character because he is so. He's willing to have personal, emotional relationships, but he does not let that get in the way of what's practical for him. Right. Um, and this is very clearly, like, he likes Tyrion and he's friends with Tyrion, but he's not, like, going to get chopped in half by the mountain <laughs> for Tyrion. Right, and it's I actually was kind of surprised by that because I figured after four seasons of hanging out that they might have a little bit more... Um, I mean, you know... He said, like, you know, what have you done for me or whatever? But, you know, Bronn was a sellsword and ended up, you know, in charge of the, what, City Watch. He ended up, um, you know, getting set up in King's Landing, having a pretty cushy life, having pretty much whatever he wanted. Like, there were a lot of benefits to, you know what I mean? He had to put his life on the line a couple of times, but he fought alongside, or he, um, you know, he, he benefited from, from, from being uh, Tyrion's sort of right-hand guy. Um, so it was a little weird when he's like, you know, I don't really, you know, get anything out of this relationship and I, I seem to be doing pretty well, especially when, you know, Tyrion's never screwed him over or whatever, you know, he's asked a lot of him, but he's never gone behind his back or whatever. And he's now allied himself with Cersei and people who do that all the time, constantly and have no allegiance to Bronn and pay their debts means whatever they want it to mean. So, where Tyrion literally means, I will literally pay you back for this. Uh, but Cersei's like, you know, could mean pay your debts, could mean, you know, you help Tyrion and I hate Tyrion, so I'm going to kill you. That could just as easily be what she means by that. So, um, and same for Tywin or any other character. So, uh, I was disappointed in him. I was genuinely disappointed. One thing I did like about this scene, though, was that they sort of went through the laundry list of characters that we talked about last episode. Um, you know, Jamie comes in and we're like, you know, we were talking about maybe Jamie and then Jamie leaves and then Bron comes in. And I'm like, Oh, Bron. Um, but I had not considered Oberyn. I don't know why I, and if you think about it, um, well, first of all, uh, we should talk about the challenger, the mountain. All right. Yes. Uh, this is the third actor to play the mountain. And yeah. I thought know- about that. If you noticed props, because I wouldn't be able to tell. Well, to be fair, this is the first, now they really have a problem because, um, I don't know if he survives or dies in this upcoming fight, if it even happens. But um, the uh, 
the mountain has always been in like a suit or has a helmet on or whatever so you they could change the character around and people would not really notice at all and it was irrelevant because he like grunted you know he didn't really do anything prior to this now they've shown him without any armor or anything he's complete you know you could he's very identifiable and he's massive massive person um so now they can't really change the character again unless they you know i mean they could but without people really noticing so uh if he ends up becoming a more important recurring character um theoretically he will uh you know remain this this new actor will uh continue playing him but i did notice that between the first and second season because there was a period of time where i was very intent on people not recasting if they could avoid it and so i was looking at these things and they recast you know the mountain they recast a couple of characters and uh i was hoping they would keep doing that but you know people come and go things change um it's but- unfortunate with the mountain because it's really i don't think it's ever been the show i think it's always been the actor just kind of wanted to pursue other things oh yes definitely. um and just kind of like the part wasn't really that big and at this point like yeah the mountain now you kind of have to show him with his helm off just because of the scenes that that are going to happen and that happened in this episode um yeah you can't really hide behind that anymore right now that he's more uh, slightly more of a character right than just kind of this terrifying force right um, and oh my god, when we meet him, he's gigantic. Um, really, really gigantic. Horrifying. Yeah. Um, and I think I read this, he is six feet, nine inches tall, and he is the shortest actor. Yes, the other ones were around seven, yes, I remember that. And they were much thinner, much, much thinner. Yeah, he's, yeah. yeah he weighs over like 400 pounds. He's wow. like one of the strongest men in the world, wow. this actor. Um, and he, the way, even the way they shoot him, um, especially next to Cersei. It's a lot of like low just, angles, right? Yeah, it's just absurd. It's just like you get it, like A plus casting. Yeah, <laughs> A plus casting. Um, and when you see that, like you can't even can you really blame Bron? <laughs> yes, no, definitely. I mean, like, in in some ways, and and you know, um, but in other ways, I still, you know, I I understand like he could take a knight, and like this is more than just a knight. This is you know someone pretty impressive, um, but. Uh, I'm still not letting Braun off the hook. I'm I'm genuinely <laughs> disappointed. The only respite I got from that situation was that Oberyn Tyrion partnering up is probably the coolest thing I've ever heard. So that was my that was sort of the recompense for this um, for Braun's dismissal of Tyrion. Yeah, it's funny um, that it's funny that you didn't think of Oberyn um, because I don't know if I would have either. But when it happens, it seems so obvious. It does. No, it totally makes sense. About Oberyn. Yes, and exactly. That Oberyn has a history with the mountain, so it almost like it writes it almost itself. Feels like, yeah, yeah. Like Oberyn must be over the moon that this happened, that this trial even happened, because as soon as the trial happens, and as soon as um, even as soon as without it being let on the judge table or anything, um, he knows how this could play out. Um, that he came to King's Landing to get his revenge. And this is like an excuse you know to that. kill the guy, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, this is literally like I can kill this person uh, without any sort of like repercussions yeah. whatsoever, any no repercussions. So this is, and especially like you would think, um, Jamie and Braun, both very capable fighters, uh, terrified of the mountain. Uberin, not a big guy, very slender, not even very like muscular or tall. Um, it's it's definitely like as as cool as this pairing is and as awesome as Oberyn's motivation is 
it's not like it's not a sure thing in any way. It's not, but he but he doesn't even care. He just wants to do it. Um, yeah. But but I I just thought it was um, it totally made sense. And the other thing is that it sort of confirmed my opinions last week. I I don't know if you remember, but I said something along the lines of um, I had thought Oberyn might sort of try and throw the trial uh, in favor of Tyrion just because he knew the whole thing was a sham and he was just seemed to be having a good time. Um, but I think it was more along the lines of he was thinking five steps ahead and knew that this was going to happen and was the whole, this was all part of his plan anyway. Um, so it totally fit in, uh, to his, his sort of, um, his mission in coming to the, uh, coming to the Capitol. So I thought that was, that was so cool when he showed up. Cause I was like, Oh, of course, that's why he just let the trial go on. Even though he knew the whole thing was, you know, a charade and, um, now he gets his chance to uh, deal with the mountain and also to side with Tyrion, which, you know, is a poke in the eye to all of the, uh, to the other, um, the other Lannisters. And the one thing that I, uh, I, I really want to just, you know, emphasize here is that Jerome Flynn is a great actor and he, he plays Braun and, and their, um, dy- his dynamic with Peter Dinklage was awesome because I think Peter Dinklage is far and away the best actor on the show. He's, he's just absolutely incredible. Um, and so you need characters who can really hold their own with him. It was, you know, um, that was part of the problem I had with, with Jay, as I said before. But um, I thought uh, Jerome Flynn had a great um, back and forth with him. But I think I think um, Pedro Pascal, uh, who plays Oberyn, is so, so, so good. Uh, and it's so cool to see, you know, every time they have, they've only had a couple of scenes together. But they're both incredible actors. So not only am I do I like the character Oberyn and the character Tyrion, and I like the idea of them teaming up, um, but they're both incredibly intelligent, and because they're both intelligent, they're both, you know, witty and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they're also both excellent, excellent actors. So um, yeah, I'm I'm totally down for this. Oh yeah, it's um, yeah. The, uh, okay, I won't. I'm not gonna spoil anything. I will say <laughs> the because I should say this the the. Uh, Trial by combat between Oberyn and the Mountain is my favorite scene in the entire series. Wow, it it is. It's um, I can't wait for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, you've got me excited now. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm very very excited. Uh, so that should be good. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess the the last place um, we go to, and this is the big moment uh, in the episode. I confess, just for anybody listening. Um, this scene was spoiled for me just prior to the episode. Somebody decided to oh. message me about it uh, just minutes after the episode ended. Um, so I sort of knew where it was going, but <laughs> I didn't know how it was going to happen. Um, so I guess it starts with Robin and Sansa um, hanging out in a... Gu- By the way, I like uh, Sophie Turner. Um, she's she's done a great job, as, as we've said. Um, but I have to say... And I don't, and I was, this, this is a, like, sort of a weird side point. Um, the choices that George R. R. Martin made in the book by making certain hair colors and certain sort of aesthetics uh, apply to different areas, and knowing how he writes, I don't know that this was intentional. Sophie Turner, with her, you know, with the red hair and everything and in her cloak, looked very out of place in King's Landing, where, as it, she should, and looks exactly at home in a wintry setting it's so weird when she's standing in that sort of that little courtyard and there's like this i don't know if the snow's falling or whatever but everything's covered in snow 
and she's in like her cloak and it, it just looks so right and you sort of get this impression that it's not just like hair color and things like that that are important but like it actually has a connection to the place in which they are um where they live and 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 the uh, sort of geographical area uh and i just thought that was just a really cool sort of a weird side thing but it's a it was a nice touch you know you just see her in this and and also the last time we saw her in like a wintry area was back with um with Ned Stark back you know back in season 1 so um i just i thought this was this was really cool to see her sort of back in her element because she's in the veil and um that's that's where her family is from um so anyway i thought this i thought this was a really cool uh scene aesthetically speaking the comfort of the veil is is well, the un- the discomfort of the veil is, I think, uh, the snowy aesthetic um, feeds into that because the veil seems like it should be the place where she fits, where she is safe right. and secure, and yet it is so uncomfortable, and it, everything is is tense, and that it comes to a boiling point in this episode. Right. Um, so I, th- I think you're right. Definitely, like she looks like she should be there, but. At the same time, it's just the worst people she could be around. Right. You know, relatively. Right. Right, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I felt the same way. Uh, it, it's sort of an interesting thing because, uh, you know, you have this, you have this sort of the set dressing is one way, but then the actions that happen afterwards or the actual plot that happens doesn't fit into that um, sort of, you know, there's sort of this dissonance between the two, which leads to a sense of uncomfort both for Santa and also for the viewer. Uh, so that was really cool. Uh, then she creates the, this very incredibly, surprisingly artistic and accurate depiction of Winterfell um, out of snow, somehow. I was kind of unclear on that. But um, And then Robin comes in and has this strange obsession with throwing people out of, you know, <laughs> high places. Uh, which was, you know, which we knew, but it was, it still came off as a little odd. Um, and then they get into a fight over that. I have to say this, this fight was a little weird for me. Um, like, I don't have a problem with people who get set off by, you know, like, almost no, there's like no impetus for their, for their actions if they're just like hot-headed or crazy like Robin is. Um, but it didn't see, it didn't seem like he even had the slightest bit of impetus to, like, get angry yet, and she gets upset really quick, too, and it's just the whole thing seems very, very strange to me. Um, at first, I was liking the idea, uh, and I and I could see how the scene might have played out a little bit more believably, but it, just the way it turned out was very strange, and then she slaps him, just to add to the, like, randomness of the moment. Um, but I guess it was important, because it sort of had to set off the rest of the uh, the chain of events that happened subsequently. You know, I buy that Robin is just kind of a petulant uh, brat. Right. Um, right. We've had those in the series right. before, certainly. Um, but I think uh, Sansa being so being set off in the way that she is is comes from two things. First of all, I think there's just all this. Uh, there's been all this stress and all this anxiety in her life, right. and this is the first time that there's a person who she can lash out at. Um, or that she, well, she, you know, it's still not a smart idea to do so, but it's not like with Joffrey. Right. It's not even like you in King's Landing. Um, it's, it's, so yeah. And I think it also comes from the fact that Sansa is a, a child and, um, uh, older in the show, certainly, but still it's, and I think building the, uh, 
Winterfell out of snow definitely comes from that. And I think this her getting really upset when Robin ruins it comes from that. And also just kind of the sadness of uh, losing her home. Certainly there's right, right. On, to be said for that. On paper, this totally made sense. It was just something about the dynamic, the way it was scripted or something that didn't seem to sit right with me. Um, but on, on paper, it totally makes sense. I'm sure, I don't know if this scene happens in the book specifically, but it, it I didn't have a problem with it. Theoretically, it was just the way it was executed. I think that I was like, "Really?" <laughs> um, but oh, yeah, actually, this this whole ending stuff was almost word for word from the books. Oh, no um, kidding! I say almost, which we'll get to at the very end. But, oh, okay. Um, yeah, which is interesting because they rarely do that. So my dreaded moment um, happened uh, some, just after this, um, hmm. where uh, Littlefinger kisses Sansa, and yeah, that uh, was super creepy. Yeah, and well, especially since. He's just finished saying, like, that could have been your dad. And then he kisses her. Yeah. It's really gross and just, ugh. It's, it's beyond gross. There's so many weird, creepy things going on there. Um, also, kind of just insulting. Like, I didn't like Catelyn, but, like, the things he says just at that moment, he's like, you're more attractive than she ever was. I'm like, oh, my God, really? <laughs> she was just brutally murdered. Not that he cares, apparently, but I thought if, if there was one person he would show at least a little bit of reference, reverence too, it would be Catelyn, because he seemed to be so obsessed with her. Um, so yeah, that whole thing was just bizarre, and of course Lysa sees it, and then we have the scene with the with the moon door. So, so why don't... why You said there was a difference between the book and the show, or, or... So how did this scene play out? Yeah, well, okay, it's not even... You're gonna laugh, because it's the most petty thing. <laughs> but... The whole thing with this scene, and it's this is, by the way, the final scene of, of the third book. This is the final scene of the oh, final okay. chapter. Right. Um, there's an epilogue, but this is the final scene proper. In the book, this is the scene where Littlefinger's whole plot is revealed, that mm-hmm. we got a couple episodes ago in the show, um, when she's kind of screaming at him. She says, oh, I killed my husband for you, and I did this for you, and right. it's a shocking moment. Right, right, and I was disappointed that the show revealed that early, because I think it really works here. But I also think that maybe it would have been just too much. Um, oh, so that's all revealed in the scene right before she gets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It really would have worked here. Interesting. That's when she's screaming a little finger. That's when that happens. Um, yeah. It is, so it is, and it's also kind of weird in the way they played it in the show that she like the second they meet, she just starts talking about it. Yes. Um, I didn't really buy that. So it is I guess they wanted us then, to. Um, they wanted us to invest in that storyline. They didn't want it to be like, say, the Stannis storyline, where we're like, why do we care about this? It's true. I mean, I guess they kind of wanted to spread stuff out yeah. um, as much as they could. But then what happens, this scene is referred to as only Cat, because what Littlefinger says is he says, I've only ever loved one woman, right. only Cat, and then he shoves her out the moon door. Oh. And that's like the perfect, like, mic drop moment. When I read that, I was like, oh, my God. Because just that line, the way, the, I don't know what it is, just the cadence of, of that particular two words with what he's been saying. In the show, he says your sister. And I feel like, do people really not know that Lysa is Catelyn's sister? Have people really forgotten that? Like, it's a whole... Oh, I thought, I forgot he even... I forgot he said your sister. I I was actually... I had misheard that then. I must have thought it was just... Because I thought it it just ended at I've only ever loved one woman. Um, And then that leaves it really ambiguous if he's talking about Sansa, who he just kissed, and that was creepy. Or if it was um, Lysa, I mean, or if it was Cat, um, and then the other thing is, or or it could have been Lysa in that particular moment, you know, and then that would make the throwing her out uh, even more sudden. Um, but then you don't; it's not really clear if 
that kiss was just meant to inspire a conflict so that he could do that, or if he actually is going to, like, be super creepy and try and marry Sansa or do some weird thing. Um, so that's also unclear, too. Uh, yeah, it's a really strange... Well, this whole sequence is very is clearly kind of confounding. Yes. Um, I think deliberately, just because I, it ramps up so quickly. It does. Um, and him... I think it's telegraphed that he's going to push her out the moon door. Yes. Just in terms of, like, where the positions that they're standing in. Um, so, I, yeah, yeah, it's... Well, in that I, moment, because I knew that... I knew Lysa was going to die there. I knew that was going to happen. I was actually... because, But I didn't know how it was going to happen. I thought it was possible that Sansa would do it. Um, mm-hmm. So, until he starts walking across, I'm like, okay, so it's going to be him. <laughs> yeah, that would have been... Yeah. That would have been interesting, though. It would have. Sure. It would have been a very interesting scene, and then, you know, but it wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense, considering he find, she finds Littlefinger really creepy, and that would, you know what I mean, like, that would not help her situation very much. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, I I, uh, I thought it was, a, it was a cool scene. I don't know, now that you said that was the end of the third book, I don't know if they're going to continue this storyline in the, the show. I'm, I'm assuming they will, because... We have these other characters who are all sort of converging on the same point. Yeah, there are a few more uh, Sansa chapters from book four. Um, but again, it's like we're getting to the point where um, I saw a chart someone did of just how much published material each character has left. Mm-hmm. And I think Sansa might have the least. Wow. I think Sansa only has like four chapters left that have been published um, to adapt you know, like Brienne is already in Feast for Crows right now. Daenerys, like we said, is in is in Dance with Dragons, right. Book Five. You know, um, the main, the most of the bigger storylines are, are still approaching their end of Book Three, but still, it's like once we get to Books Four and Five, because they're split up, there's not that much stuff published for each of these characters left, and we're going to be introducing new characters too. Um, so yeah, it's, it's more characters. Ugh. Oh, no, you're going to love him. Don't worry. <laughs> I, okay, I admit I, I really like Oberyn, so, you know, there's ways to do it right. I I totally... That was unfair. That was unfair. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I'm... I, it'll be very cool to see how this... this this uh, How they handle it, because, um, you know, they're going to be continuing this show for at least a couple more seasons, and, you know, the books don't seem to be arriving anytime soon, so... Um, yeah, as we talked about before, this is going to be very interesting for people who are, you know, avid book followers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right. yeah. So, um, the, show, the show is taking two weeks off, by the way, we oh, should say. Oh, God. Yes. Um, okay. Next Sunday, they'll be showing this movie, The Normal Heart, the Ryan Murphy movie. Um, and then the week after that is Memorial Day, which they've been taking off the past few seasons because uh, in season two, they aired Blackwater on Memorial Day. And it got the lowest ratings of the season. Oh, and that wow. was their big episode, so they want to take it off, especially because it's episode uh, nine as well. It would be if they kept to the schedule, which has been traditionally their big episode. Right. But So June 1st will be episode eight, The Mountain and the Viper. Um, I wonder what that could possibly refer to. <laughs> uh, it's gonna, I, I'm very excited. I'm kind of sad that they're, <laughs> they're going to really ramp up tension in the suspense for this one. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's... Um... It's going to be very cool to see. I mean, one of the things I really liked about the first season was um, sort of the one-on-one fights that we got a couple of. Um, the Braun fight uh, at the Erie. Um, Ned Stark and Jamie 
in the uh, in the Capitol. That was a good moment. That was the Wolf and the Lion. I think that was that was the name of that episode, and that was great. Uh, depressing, but great. So, and they were quick. There was far too little of it. So, I'm really looking forward to uh, this fight. Uh, and as you've ramped up expectations for me, and now I have to wait two weeks. <laughs> that's uh, it was really kind of you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now you know how I feel. Yes, that's true, because you have to sit around knowing what's going to happen, you know, five episodes <laughs> ahead. Um, but soon, maybe not. Soon, maybe not. That's uh, true. Uh, that's what I'm excited for and, and kind of nervous. And kind of nervous, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so, uh, again, the next episode is The Mountain of the Viper. Two weeks from now, we will resume. Uh, and, yeah, thanks for stopping by. All right. All right.